I'd like to talk now a little bit more in detail about second key area of, of what I am classifying as business transaction management, and that's what we do after we've discovered all the transaction data in this this area of transaction tracing or transaction stitching, transaction tracking or modeling. It's how we're going to take that asynchronous, the synchronous, and you know, turn it into these transaction scenarios. Can you talk about, if those terms don't fit to what CoralSense does, can you talk about the things that are happening after we've discovered the beginning of a transaction? Transaction tracing, or I'm following, I'm, I'm, I'm identifying from component to component to component, from tier to tier to tier. This is, you know, a single transaction that's now going across the infrastructure. How is that happening within CoralSense? What you'll do is you'll start with deploying a few agents uh, within your key junctions where you think that most of the transactions are flowing through these key junctions. And immediately, just by deploying the agent, you'll go to our topology view and you'll see all the different flows of transactions and the different nodes that participate in the transactions that we see flowing through our, our agents, okay? And that will help you to understand if there are more junctions which you need to track transactions across or you're okay. And let's say that you're okay and you see a nice, within the topology view, you see a nice flow and a nice description of your topology. Then from that moment on, you're going to have automatically all your transactions already tracked. And what you need to do now is, A, give meaningful names to these transactions. Either apply different heuristics and custom filters or stuff like that that we have for creating these meaningful names automatically out of the, the, uh, the textual data of the transaction name, which we gathered from what is actually being sent out to the data center. Um, or you can just you know do it on your own. If you have like, uh, if there's a transaction called uh, get access, blah, blah, and you want to give it a meaningful name of John, then you can just do it. Uh, that's the first step. The second step is is applying your SLA, setting the threshold which represents a good end-to-end response time or a bad one. And again, that can be set automatically. You can decide that I'm going to use this and that time frame and they represent a good situation for me and use the threshold that you're going to see over there and apply them to what's happening all the time. Or you can go particularly to specific transactions and, and set your SLA. And then you can decide if you want to do it for all the trans- different transaction types that you're seeing or just for, for specific ones. Uh, which and only for them you want to get alerts or, and you want to have them track constantly. Uh, you can define the levels of the, of the tracking, uh, different rules as for the tracking. You can filter out events. This is stuff that you do once you have now that the, the, the first step is to get everything. Now, then you need to just try to, to uh, decide what is more important for you and what is less important for you. So as you've 
deploy the agents into the key junctions. I like that term. The web tier, the app tier, the database tier, the mainframe, etc. What it sounded like what you just described was more of a passive watching or sniffing approach, right? I see the transactions, but I haven't actually done anything to them. I haven't ta- a lot of vendors are talking about tagging transactions or inserting some sort of code or keyword from the point of origin at the web tier to follow that subsequently with those other downstream agents. What what are you doing there that, that allows you to understand that this is an asynchronous or a synchronous transaction going across that cross-tier environment? Yeah, well, you know that that tagging is, will only get you so far. It will not get you all the way, you know, because if you have an HTTP request arriving and then there's 10 SQL statements being sent out, these SQL statements will not have any, any, you don't have any tag within the you've got all those junctions properly covered, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and on that, we have, we have specific patents only on, on this specific capability. Is this a learning approach? Again, it sounded like, as you described it, it's very passive. Is it learning by watching known behaviors? It's or just, It's just smart. I look at it as smart engineering and and, and understanding I mean, how the how the things meaning how companies typically deploy a, a three tiered architecture, or how web tier talks to app tier talks to database tier. Yeah, that. that okay. How web tier talks to app tier talks to database. Okay, so, so actually works. So you're. And, and we we came up with something which is you know for a different a little, for a different a little bit innovative. No, the, our area has long forgotten what innovation is. Everybody doing the same thing, or just call it different names. Yeah. But we came out with something which is innovative. There is a way to track transactions, and you don't necessarily need to change the code which wrote the transaction, or, or to change or do a manipulation 
with it, the, the actual request is being sent out. No, not necessarily. Okay. There are cases, extreme cases, where you have a hard topology, and then you need to use different techniques for coloring the transaction or whatever the name is. Okay, I'm not saying that you can always do it in this easy way. Okay? But there are still many topologies which 80 or 90% of the correlation of the transaction with share path, you can do it without changing a single bit of information that is being sent to or from the track junction. Okay. And just tell me to stop if I'm trying to probe here too much, but are you taking a fingerprinting approach and, 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 and discovering that I see a series of transactions flowing from a JVM or a container or an app server to a specific port, you know, port 1521 or 3306 on a database server, or are you getting into more deeper packet inspection somewhere to see, you know, what's inside of these these transaction interactions between the tiers? Can you share? Everything you can think of and more. <laughs> you just can't do it just by applying a single technique. Okay. You have to bring to that everything that you can possibly know about how it works. Everything. From how the, 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 the communication layer works, how TCP or any other network protocol for that matter works, how the OS handles these kinds of stuff, how the processes work, how how the actual layers, if you go even up, how the JVM itself works, what are the different architectural concepts that are being used by JVMs, by web servers, by databases, by message brokers. You know, it's a finite problem. It's not endless. Eventually, you can cover all the different options. They're not endless. But you need to take into consideration all these different options. And it's, it's, no, it's a very highly ordered problem. You call it very highly ordered because there are many different parameters which influence how you can solve this problem. But at the end of the day, it is solvable. Okay? But when you take everything into consideration and you tackle all the different aspects, everything that you said is relevant, everything, and even more stuff are relevant. Only then can you solve this problem. You cannot just take a specific you know, concept and say, let's look at the IT port and that's it. That's not enough. Right. And you cannot say, let's just do the bicycle instrumentation, because that's not enough as well. You have to do that and that and this and this and that and that and this and this and everything together, orchestrated as it should. So you mentioned a three-letter acronym there, and I'll couple that with another one. You know that that the way that it's always been done. Probably you're referring to things like ARM and BCI bytecode instrumentation. What you know, what are the trade-offs there? What is that good enough? Does that get me there? Or if I've if I've invested in ARM enabling my applications or my code or my app server? Am I better off now? Is that going to feed more useful data 
into SharePath or, you know, should I not even have to bother with that anymore? Okay, that's two different. There's bicycle instrumentation and there's ONS. Um, I'll start out with ONS. Okay, ONS. When I first saw ONS, I, I, I was overwhelmed. I said, I was, hey, this is, this is great. This is someone actually trying to solve this. Without we here at Colson being, being required to, to, the, to deliver technology. If you have ARM deployed, okay, everywhere, within your entire topology, then you can either develop your own end-to-end monitoring solution, which we probably have, we won't have the nice dashboard that we have, and probably we won't have reporting capabilities that we have, Unless, of course, you've invested, you know, the same time and effort that we have in that, because I don't treat that as, as core innovation and technology, gathering the information and doing the reporting. I said that before. And, and ARM enables you, if you do it correctly, that you can track the transaction within all tiers, because every layer has the, is required to create an ID, then to send that ID on to the next tier, which handles the, 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 the transaction, right? And then the next tier gets this ID and and reports it again, and so on and so on. And eventually, you're supposed to get this nice log of, again, let's take the simple example of, of two tiers. Hey, I'm HTTP transaction A. My ID is 23, and then you should get the log within the database of, hey, I'm SQL statement C, my transaction ID is 23 as well. Okay, so then you can call it is two by the ID 23, which was supposed to be generated by the first tier, which is which has on. And when you have that, then, then you actually solve the problem yourself. Now you just need this nice gathering and reporting tool. And if you want to use SharePath for that, then fine. Uh, we don't care. That, that's good enough. We can handle it easily. Um, but, but you can use even different tools. Maybe you can, you know, just parse the, the, the information, load it to a database of some sort, and use some kind of generic reporting tool. You know, maybe it will still be enough for you. So if we had, in an idealistic world where we had arms deployed everywhere, uh, I guess that I won't have it. I wouldn't have had the job. Okay, there is no meaning in the existence of end-to-end transaction monitoring solutions because the problem would be solved already. Yeah, so why, why hasn't ARM taken off? There's still a lot of code which is out there even before someone even thinks about ARM. And I think that it requires you know, a, a universal agreement by different vendors which always by definition try to compete with one another. And not to integrate, right? And you know that the, the idea of SOAP and the idea of web services was around for a decade. I was using RDS over HTTP back in 96. We're now in 2008, 12 years ago. But still SOAP has become a standard, which is something that can be used by between different tiers. And even now, it's not always known, you know, smoothly integrated. Uh, I think it has been really embraced only in the last couple of years, you know, two, three years max. Right. So it will take time. Maybe, maybe I'm 
for now. We will see more arms deployed, but right now it's just not it. And we see it being used within IBM components, and we see tools such as ITCAM from IBM, stuff like that, and using arms when they can. Um, I see myself within the arm spec. I see myself as the you know the arm spec uh, dictates that there should be this this application which knows how to read the arm uh, events that were reported and correlate them to a single uh, dashboard and gather information. And I see myself as as Chirpass is one of these kind of applications. Uh, we were arm enabled in that sense two years ago already. Okay. So that's being reported by an ARM package that you're using, then I can easily read that and, and have that deployed within my within my internal database. That level of effort, you know, that level of effort or administrative overhead to get to say you're ARM enabled, right? That's that's not just the app server or the database server, that's you have to actually instrument the application with with those hooks to do that? You have to compile the code again. If you really want to have your application ARM enabled, then you need to use a library. If it's a C code or a JAR file, if it's a Java code, you know? Uh, and, and you need to use this function and this API to report your ARM events. And you have to have that compiled or linked or whatever you use, whatever technology you're using uh, within your application. So this is a very big change. You know? So it's very, very intrusive. Which are in code freeze and nobody wants to touch them. Yeah, so it could be very intrusive, uh, add additional complex. Arm by definition, arm by definition is, is changing code. Yeah. By definition, this is what ARM, this is what the spec talks about, you know. You're, you're, as an application programmer, you need to you need to, to deploy ARM within your application code, use it, and then there's the, the ARM uh, monitoring application provider, which is Sherpan in that sense, which is responsible for for getting these events from a specific file or whatever and load them to his own internal database. But as an application developer, you're supposed to deploy the ARM package within your code. So this is, you know, this is a very big thing. Right. So this is my, my view of when it comes to ARM. Okay. As for Python instrumentation, uh, again, this is only for Java applications, okay? And everybody is forgetting that not everything is Java. Everywhere I go, I see there's a Java app server. Yes, that's true. Unless it's a Microsoft job, then there's no Java. Right. But usually you see somewhere a Java app server. It's very common right now. But everywhere I go, I see at least one additional component which is not Java-based, but still that transactions which flow through that component. It can either be a proxy, a web server, a message broker, uh, something of proprietary code, whatever you can imagine, a mainframe, whatever. There's always at least one more component which is not Java-based. And usually it's, it's a lot more than one. Uh, so bytecode is only for Java. So in that sense, you simply don't cut it. But let's say that you have only a Java app server. Only a single theory, that's all you have. But it's, it's only a question.
these APIs, you can use different stuff that already are within the Java community. And you need to pick what you want to use, what kind of technology you want to use. And there are technologies which can cause problems to your deployed application. This is something that, that you should be aware of, that not every Python implementation-based technology can be deployed easily without any modification to the Java applications which are already deployed within the app. There are cases in which changes need to be made, where there are conflicts between class names, method calls, class loaders, usually it's around the class loaders. So Python instrumentation in some sense is, is uh, you know, pretty invasive. And so this is where we see those you know, some of those original initial tools from, you know, the Wileys or the CompuWares or the yeah. Quests that really focused on profiling and, and getting in there and understanding the app server and Java applications to a very high level of detail, right? Yes. And these guys were actually a debugger or profiler is, is the more, you know, the most exact uh, phrase. Profiler. And profiler is something that you don't use in the production environment. Use it in the pre-production testing. Or when you do what, what you want to when you want to do a deep dive diagnostic and you don't care if you're literally freezing your application. And for that, these tools are and if someone is, is listening to what I'm saying, that just you should know that you can buy different technology for hundred dollars, and there are even open source projects which do exactly the same as why, just right. for your knowledge. Sure. So when it comes to Java Profiler, it's a commodity. It's already a commodity. Okay. There are many different stuff doing literally the same. So this might be an area, right, where what? with Coral Sense's view that you know BTM is going to consolidate a lot of different traditional data center monitoring tools. We want to draw the line here between that production operations versus, you know, application development, application support tool, right? So tools that are out there doing this deep dive profiling are probably not something we're going to expect to see in a in a BTM solution, correct? No, because because they don't have the technology for collecting the different events in the different critical junctions. That's one. Two, they don't have the technology for reporting these events during a, a production, within a production environment, online all the time. That's two. Why do you, for example, create a, a specific file within the monitor app server? That is not something that can, you can use in production. This is a joke. So why do you, by definition, when you, when you install it, then, then the automatic configuration is do a full transaction trace only for 30 seconds, and only when you specifically pick a transaction. This is not something for production, you know. This is this is profiling. This is debugging. Right. This is what it is. And and you know, and, and, and let's not talk about the repository, which has to be ready for getting information of a transaction, which is composed of different events, which is like a tree-like view, and it can have different different tiers, you know. And then the reporting has to be relevant to that. So these tools are not even close 
diagnostic tool for profiling, debugging of a specific application. That's it. Okay. And as we see it, you have when, when you do an end-to-end transaction management, you need to be able to have your end-to-end transaction management deployed with potentially a Java profiler. So I should have Sherpas deployed with potentially Wiley within already, or Precise, or Quest, or, or, or JProbe, or whatever you're going to use. And what they, and what the profiler problem is that they make the customer choose. Usually you won't see two profilers working on the same Java app server, right? Right. Usually there's only one. But what we say is that if you are really at a BTM solution, then you shouldn't care if they have a profiler deployed. Because that's the whole idea, right? You should be able to pinpoint exactly what the problematic tier. Maybe maybe even give some insight to what exactly are 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 the calls within that specific tier. And then if you're not going deep enough, they can decide they turn on their profiler and then look even deeper. So you have to be able to work in parallel. And if you can't, then you're not really a BTM solution. Right. Understand. Launching out launching out into those more domain specific tools is always going to be uh, needed to yeah. act on the problems that are discovered via the BTM solution. Let's. Yeah. I, I want to just talk a little bit more about we've discovered the transactions, we're starting to trace them and track them and, and understand relationships across the end-to-end flow, across tiers. How are we incorporating the user aspect or or? Types, types of transactions, or users, or endpoints, or locations. How do we? How does that context come into what you're discovering and, and tracing through that environment? Which, again, is is probably the most important part. Is understanding that you know this is a transaction type uh, for somebody using SAP financials or Oracle financials, or this is a this is a Transaction coming from our corporate headquarters in in Boston. How are you are you discovering that information first, or how is that contextual information added to to complement the very technical data that's discovered? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think that when it comes to adding information about the endpoint, okay, and, and it's all about the endpoint. What you're asking right now what can you tell me about the endpoint that created the transaction? Um, can you give me the meaningful name from the endpoint? Can you tell me who the user is? Can you tell me where he was located at? It's all about the endpoint, okay? When it comes to a transaction type, then this is something that you can understand not just from the endpoint. Because the transaction will be sent out from the endpoint and then will arrive to the first entry point within the data center. And that and then you can classify a type just by doing some kind of manipulation over the data that was being sent out by the transaction. Okay, like for example, let's say you have let's make let's take a, a simple example. Let's have you have this simple URL which is called do action, okay? And I'm sending out do action events 
and you're sending out new action events. So, from a simple URL perspective, we have the same transaction type, do action and do action, right? The same type. But now you're doing action number four, and I'm doing action number seven. So it's not the same transaction type, because you're sending out the parameter calling called action number equals four, and I'm sending out action number equals seven. So what you need your BTM solution to do is to understand that action number equals seven is part of the transaction type. Correct. Actually, it represents the transaction type in this case. And it could be any combination for that matter, okay? So you can easily define types just from the information that's being sent to the data set. Come to the to information about the end about the about the endpoint, the user. So here there are two options. Okay, let's say that option number one is you have something deployed within the end user. Okay? So I'm gonna refer that that in a minute. Option number two, you don't have anything. Let's say you have only within a data center. There's still stuff that you can know about the end user. And that really, it really depends on the topology, okay? And where you have your shareback deployed. Uh, in some topologies, you can get the client IP just from the traffic that's being sent to the data center. In some topologies, you cannot. But if you have some kind of caching proxy between the end user and where Sherpa is deployed, then you will just get the ID of the caching proxy, okay? But in that sense, it's, it's a problem which is which any technology will have if, it, if it's only deployed within the data center and, and there's some kind of junction before that and it doesn't see what that junction is receiving. So, but, in, but there are topologies where just by sitting in the data center, you can still see the client IDs that being sent. You can understand the username that's being sent. You can track a user session and extract meaningful information from the session representing who is the user, what he's doing right now. And you could do all of that just from residing within the data center. I do want to come back to when we have an agent or a partner solution, but okay, I, I want also. I, I want to uh, understand here that you're where your agent is placed on that first point of contact, that first junction, the web server, let's say, or a server load balancer, or wherever. That you are seeing uh, not only URL strings and parameters, you're seeing inside the packet. You're you're, you have some sort of mechanism that either will automatically or manually let a subject matter expert quantify, describe, or or say, you know, type, you know, action equals four or action equals seven means this, right? Or it's associated yeah. with SAP or Oracle or this VIP yeah. in our headquarters. Yeah, we have more than that. We have, we have 
automatic stuff and we also give you the option to create filters so it's other this filter can either be created by our own PS team or, or by the customer himself um, what we do is, is we use you know, simple techniques, the regular expression which you can just define your own for manipulating the information or you can write your own custom code, Java based, that implement a simple interface and do any, any manipulation that you want. You know, we, had, we had a case in which the, the data which was being sent to the data center was, was zipped, okay? So, you know, we had, we had the customer writing this filter which and it wasn't just simply, it was, actually, it was compressed, not exactly zipped. It was by its own, I don't know, specific algorithm for, for compressing, whatever. So it did the uncompressed, and he extracted whatever he needed for the reporting of the transaction. So, so yes, we, we give this stability. It's very important. Without this stability, you usually, not all the time, but mainly you can, you, you, a lot of times you will find yourself seeing exactly the same code as representing the transaction, while actually it's it, it different transaction types entirely. How does CoralSense help the clients understand what you're collecting? How do, you know, my experience is that most clients, at least when you're dealing with the monitoring tools group, you know, as the primary person or organization who deploys this tool. How do you help those organizations make sense of all this new data that's coming in? How do you help them understand that here's some patterns, right? Here's that action equals four. Here's action equals seven. How do you, I, I mean, most clients don't know what, how these complex applications are built when you're dealing with a group like the monitoring tools group. What what's CoralSense do to help them along the way to develop a new set of skills to get them thinking about transactions and flows and and asynchronous and synchronous and all these new terms that we've been talking about? Yeah, well, this is a great great insight. Doug. Um, well, you have to help them because because the situation right now is that this is knowledge that that not everybody have. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit in, in our previous talk, and so this is part of the opportunity for us, but usually the monitoring group will not always understand all these terms, and you'll need to go through some kind of education session, and usually it will be part of the pre-sale activity, okay? So during the pre-sale activity, you will explain what is a synchronous transaction, transaction, what is a transaction type, how you can define it, what is an SLA, what is a threshold, uh, what is this transaction tree, what is this, what's this topology that, that we're referring to as the topology view of your entire application. Okay, and that, that is, it is a process that will happen during uh, the preset activity, during the, the presentation of what your path is. And afterwards, what we usually see is that it becomes some kind of joint effort between this monitoring group and systems management group and technology architecture group, whatever group is, is, is embracing our technology, and, and the application developers. Yeah. Because the guys that do know what a secret transaction is and what a transaction type is and, 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 and 
stuff like that are the application developers. I agree. And and up to now there was like this big wall between the monitoring guys and the application developer guys, you know, but 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 this technology, the, the BTM concept requires you to to start talking to one another, requires you to create this dialogue which eventually everybody just just you know, just have only to gain from this dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the the vendors and the integrators and the consultancies that that understand that you know for business transaction management for business service management if they focus on put equal or more effort around everything that doesn't have anything to do with the technology but all the people and the process and the politics and breaking down those silos to instill this end-to-end mentality. of, I think that that's, that's going to be a big key differentiator out there in this business transaction management space is the vendors who focus on that and can instill transformational change in companies because they've adopted BTM for the long haul. And it's not just another tool. It's just not another fancy screen, but now the companies are really changing the way they operate because they have this new visibility. They can think differently, they can operate differently, and they can respond differently that, again, it's my firm belief that BTM and as a key part of a a broader business service management story, those companies are going to be able to to truly differentiate themselves against their competitors. Definitely, and and that's what we see with customers that are already using SharePass. We see that that usually the champion that you know embraced SharePass and pushed it within the organization is is doing this internal education sessions and they present SharePass by themselves to different groups and then there's there's more enthusiasm and there's there's more more groups that are waiting and are in queue for, for for, for having SharePoint deployed within their applications. Because suddenly they understand what they can get. Yeah. Like there's a lot of value if, if this kind of information is, is being managed and, and you know, supported and, and the transactions are, are being actually, someone is actually tracking what's going on within their application. And this is what we see all the time. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's great or unfortunate, but BTM comes to life to solve a pain point, very tactical in nature. But the opportunity is for those clients and those vendors who can help clients take this from being just a tactical tool to being something that's a strategic differentiator for the next generation of IT operations uh, in, in these companies. Yes. Let's talk now, go back to that agent-based approach, right? So you've got, you've got your desktop agent or you're partnering with somebody like an Eternity or a Symphonic or Serdan or, or somebody else that has a rich agent on the desktop, where does the, the value proposition increase or, or where does the visibility increase now that I've got a tremendous you know visibility now at that desktop? I, I think that this is like the most exciting thing that is that I'm personally involved in right now. Know, this partnership with with real user measurement vendors that 
requests that are being sent and measuring you know, the, the latency and, and stuff like that. Um, I think that integrating these two brings us to an entire new level. And I've had some discussions with different analysts and they all think the same. I think that that it I just I talked about it like last week. I came on this, this presentation about that and I said that as I see it, an organization that has a real user measurement solution deployed within a desktop together with a BTM solution that that's the end to end. And let's assume that both technologies are properly integrated, and this is what we're doing right now. We're making sure that these transactions that are being captured within the desktop are immediately uh, streamed to the Sherpa server, and you will still see them within the context of the entire transaction of the flow within the data center. Okay, so you will literally see from the minute it, it from the sec from the millisecond it left the desktop to the time it returns to the desktop, to the rendering time within the desktop, and you'll get everything, all the relevant information from the desktop. Username, computer name, whatever it is within the desktop, CPU utilization within the desktop, um, specific uh, buttons that were pressed. You will get the transaction type automatically. Throw away all the, all the things that we talked about, getting the type and customizing and the action type. You don't need it anymore. No, you've you got have a button. Sure. The button has the label. The label is the name of the transaction. Yep. No, that's the most intuitive thing. Um, this is why I'm so excited about it. It's, it's, it's like makes everything a lot easier. Yep. And and I think that the organization which will have both solutions de deployed, and this is what's happening, and this is what's going to happen. Because right now you have organizations. There are many organizations that are using some kind of reuse measurement uh, solution. No, not enough. This is an emerging market, just as BTM is. Um, but when it comes to web applications, this is a, a pretty mature market already. You have different players which have good presence within the market with 1,000 companies. And when it comes to desktop, then there's these two new companies, Eternity and NOAA, uh, which are becoming players. Have you looked at Serden yet? Have you heard about Serden, S-E-R-D-E-N? They've got a unique approach on the desktop agent as well. S-E-R-D-A-N or D-E-N? D-E-N, S-E-R-D-E-N. No, haven't heard of them. Yeah. Check them. Noah and Eternity, and I know that these two don't see any other competitor right now. Yeah, check them out. They've got a unique approach that takes takes what we, we, we expect from the desktop real user stuff now, but now they're going, they, they also crawl up into more of the asset management and, you know, power. They can see how much, you know, like, power utilization and all this other stuff that those applications are consuming. You know, they take the resources yeah. to the next level. Yeah, I turned it to Noah also going in that direction, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Um... So we have, have we have relationships with with Eternity, with Noah, with companies such as Coradiant, which are very have very nice technology when it comes to you know tracking transactions through the network and then calculating the latency to the user with with web based applications. Right. And I think that an organization that has both solutions deployed and integrated is. 
totally covered. Okay? It's covered. Yeah. And from a business perspective, it's going to have the outcome. You're going to see it in the bottom line. Because once you can know whatever users are doing, what kind of, 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 of service they're getting, immediately pinpointing the problems, and, and then no, no single language for everyone within the, the, the IT department and within the applications and the, the business owners. Because usually when you come to set a user experience solution, you, you say to the business owners, right, this is what they did up to now. They weren't necessarily sending to IT. Because the business owners w were in charge of the customers. So they want to know what kind of service they're getting. Right. It's just like sending a, a, a CRM application. You don't send it to the IT. You just don't. Yeah. So it's like th this is the indication of everything. Yeah, and it's... So it blows my mind when I imagine an organization that can, can, can know exactly what happened on every single desktop down to the mainframe. Yeah. The potential is huge. Oh, it, it, you can it is. You can build transactions. You can have knowledge on what the customers are doing every single moment in time. You can have knowledge what's creating money, what's not creating money. You can have knowledge what servers are utilized and not utilized. You can just know. Just know. You can know everything that you you can that you can imagine that you need to know. I'm trying to uh, draw a line of demarcation again and try and clear up all the analyst speak and acronyms out there would how would you draw a line between business transaction management and end user real user user experience quality of experience I think it's the same actually again i think that real user experience is under business transaction management that's how i see it at least let's say at least 70 percent of the functionality that the real user experience solution gives is something that is relevant to your BTM solution. There's this 30% which is around what you just said, asset management, you know, uh, you know web, power utilization, yeah. stuff like that. Web analytics which is, and... Which, which is not directly relevant to BTM. Yeah. But everything that has to do with what the user did within a desktop that was being sent out to the data center is part of the BTM umbrella. Yeah. And what you require and you need, and if you have a BTM solution, you will expect that information to be within your BTM repository, right? Right. You want, to be, you, want, you want it to be correlated and integrated with your BTM solution. So that's why I think these 70% are part of the BTM umbrella. And I, I think I agree with that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with my own acronym here to, to, to again find this level of separation. And I, I keep coming back to something I'm calling business quality of experience. And this is, you know, like you just said, it's it's that thirty percent. It's that that user experience. It's that user perception. It's that user interaction. Maybe this is where you know Aptex and the focus on how do I think performance is or what's my experience as this new area that I'll call business quality of experience management and then all the other transactional point and click response time availability falls 
into that 70% and goes underneath the business transaction management umbrella. Does that, does that make sense? see consolidation you know I think that the likes of some of these incumbents keynotes the Gomez's the you know I don't know about the big four but I definitely see there's a need for some consolidation some of these guys have been around like karate and tea leaf and that you know they've got to broaden out a little bit I think We've discovered transactions. We've we've linked and established relationships. We've created and defined what the context of a synchronous transaction is, an asynchronous transaction, a transaction scenario. You know, this is this is part of what I think is the holy grail for these companies who who want to play in this application discovery and mapping area, who are populating you know CMDBs. This this logical. This logical component, in my opinion, has been missing from inclusion into a CMDB because it hasn't been able to been solved before. So if, if we're able to solve this, can CoralSense and the SharePath data you know, be used to drive this logical relationship into uh, a change management or a configuration management repository so now people can really see, they can, they can move beyond managing changes at the resource level to now this more important end-to-end component. How can I apply change control, uh, release management, configuration management concepts to the end-to-end transaction scenario? and by specific 
yeah. sat between the, the actual table and the, the code component and your service. What now we're being requested to see if we can help with, and I know that we can, just the question of, of when we're going to bring that is let's also add the layer of the application components, okay? But what I've been explaining is that this is something that I can bring out of a, within a development environment or a QA environment, but it has a lot of overhead, right? If you want to track the entire Java stack trace or the entire .NET stack trace, or you want to enable traces in different code components to see what kind of, of code packages you're accessing through a service, then this, this has overhead. So this is not for a production environment. But if you want to do that as a one-time project or a periodic project, then we can definitely help with that because we know what's happening all the time. We know what context it is. There's a lot of stuff we have out of the box. And now only, the only thing you need to add is just do some tracing and you can get these application components and you can relate them to the specific transactions. Yeah. Right? So yeah, you can populate the CMDB. And, and we've been also talking with some, some specific vendors which have some interesting solutions around that. So we may just partnership for that. Right. But we definitely see now how the BTN solution as the, the, the basic end-to-end transaction box is, is, you know, is, is the driving force for populating a CMDB repository. Yeah, to a level of detail, again, both physical and logical, that hasn't been easy to do in the past, if at all possible. It's, 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 in the past, it required either you go every specific line of code and, you know, go through it and read it, or enable or do tracing with all the different tiers of the topology by yourself, create these logs, and then manually, you know, make, make this relation. This is, this is how they did it so far. And actually, what has been happening is that organizations understand that they need this CMDB as this centralized repository for, you know, uh, for relating between the, the services, the transactions, and all the different code components and, and groups within the IT. But they still don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah, and I think it's part of the challenge of selling, if you will, ITIL best practices, change management, CMDBs into companies can be solved now because we're elevating the discussion above the servers and the network switches and databases, right? We're talking now to people at the business level, the things that they care about, the things that impact them, the things that make or enable a company to meet their business goals and objectives of, you know, more widgets, more customers, more revenue, whatever. You know, before it's always been blinking things in the data center, which, again, IT cares about, but the business guys haven't had a way to see the configuration as needed by the business. Those transactions, you know, this is having the ability for a business person to see that end-to-end cross-tier, to be able to see his users, to be able to apply change control or configuration management across that at, you know, in a way that the business guy cares about, you know, not, not the servers, but the end-to-end flow. And, and, and when a change request 
from an application server guy may impact his end-to-end flow, right? So now giving that business person a voice to say, no, you know, we don't have redundancy or we don't have capacity. You need to do your change request at a different time, a different day of the month, because you're going to impact the SLAs or the transaction flows for this important business you know, transaction or, or transaction scenario. Yeah, Never been able to be done before. And I yeah, think that exactly. because we get, gain that visibility that now the business side may be more you know, likely to want to invest in you know, these areas that before I think they saw this is just another tool, it's another thing that IT wants to to play with what's in it for me, right? What's in it for the business? And now it's it's pretty easy. It's it's you know here's here's the things that we can now do when we have this new level of visibility into the things that the business cares about. Yeah, I agree. But, but what I still see is that the channel to the business, um, this from from the vendor that I am right now, a BTM solution provider is only through the IT channel. You cannot go with that directly to the business. It immediately bounces back to the IT. Is that because, again, that BTM is, is today primarily only brought in to solve a pain point and be very tactical in nature? Because right now the guys that immediately understand the value and immediately are the IT guys. Yeah. No. It, the business guys get the value only after they it work. Then they understand what they can gain from it. Yeah. Do you think that in two thousand nine that that do you sense that you're going to need to sell more to the business side as the first point of contact, or do you think it's still still going to be on the IT side? You know, in this economic times of shrinking budgets, do more with less. Are you going to knock on a business guy's door or an IT guy's door? Yeah, just, just let's make it clear. When I say business guys, I mean the business guys. I mean guys that have nothing to do with IT. Nothing. Nothing. But even within the IT department, there's the line of business, the LOB, okay? But they're still part of the IT department. Only they are in charge of the application, not of the infrastructure. Right. So in that sense, the LOB are the candidates that we we always and eventually talk to, either first or secondly, but they're always part of the loop. But there are solutions which are uh, uh, sometimes we try to sell directly to business guys, which have nothing to do with technology, just with value, okay? Yeah. And usually it's around new applications, usually it's around new models for, for creating money which the technology can support. And in that sense, I don't see any BTM vendor uh, going directly to a business guy. What I see them do, and I know what we 